Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you don't know me, I'm a licensed psychologist, trainer, and consultant, and on this podcast, we're here to discuss how talking about trauma and sharing stories is how we transform medicine. I work with physicians and healthcare organizations on the daily, and every time we begin these conversations and I even hint at the discussion about trauma, I met with either intense, compassionate curiosity or a lot of skepticism. And that's what we're here for. I wanna make understanding and discussing trauma accessible and even more important, how you can respond to trauma. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practical information and leave with tangible tools that you can use with patients right away. So today, friends, I am so excited. I am joined today by Haley Runnels. Haley is an author, advocate, educator, and important to me, a friend of mine. Um, She has an incredible online platform called The Undone Mama, which we will link up to in the show notes. Um, But really what Haley does is she brings less aloneness to the world. And I'll let her introduce herself and her story um, and why this work is so important. But I think you have a lot to learn today from Haley. Um, I also just want to say as a little plug to Haley, she's also the first person that... um, made me understand TikTok because we did some work <laughs> together and she posted it on TikTok and I was like, oh my God, I'm like trending on TikTok. That's never happened. That's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so welcome, Haley. I'm so glad you're here. I don't think that I can hold a candle to that introduction for myself, um, but I appreciate you. And I guess um, for a little about me, I'll just add um, that I grew up in a dysfunctional home, dysfunctional family unit, and um, it was not caught by medical care providers, was not caught by teachers. Um, And as a child, when you grow up in that, you don't know that it's not normal. And so I was an adult, really um, the year of my big awakening when I realized I had trauma was when I became a mother, like the moment I became a mother. And so um, I started setting boundaries in my life, um, researching, doing trauma work, learning about mental health and kind of just fumbling my way through figuring out what was right and what was wrong about all the things, all my own personal biases, all what I'd been taught, how to communicate everything. And so, As I did that, I kind of shared a little with my friends about it on Facebook and they started telling me, Haley, you've got to, you've got to make this a thing. You need a blog. And, and so I finally did, I caved and, um, it just took off because there's just not that many people so far that are just your average housewife that are willing, your normal person that are willing to get really vulnerable with the skeletons in the family closet. Um, so I just started sharing as I went. It's, it's messy. You know, it's, um, I've had a lot of triumphs, a lot of moments where I've realized I've broken cycles and, you know, I, I share my learning curve in hopes that other people, like you said, will feel less alone and maybe as some preventative action so that other parents, um, can catch themselves um, before they make the same mistakes either that I have or that I've caught myself um, in and, um, you know, just to try to help the next generation not have so much trauma. So, you know, yes, I have a decent sized following, 
Um, but really in, on an individual level, I feel like it matters for each person. So that's what I do. Um, so we could literally break down a whole bunch of different parts about what you said and teach like an entire class. <laughs> um, let me start with just one. Um, why is doing this work important to you? Because I know that there are kids out there that are little versions of me who are living in the same thing that I lived in um, when I was a kid and they're not uh, being noticed. They're falling through the cracks, you know? And um, I know that they're there because I was there and I was one of those kids. And so I think the louder I can scream it from the rooftops, maybe the, that kindergarten teacher who will scroll across my post will see it in her classroom, you know, or, you know, that doctor or that psychologist will see something that I mentioned because I lived it that they might not have learned in a textbook, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I really just do it uh, partially to heal little me because it's healing to help other people, but also um, for the other little me's out there and for the other moms out there that have children right now that are trying desperately not to give them the childhoods that they had themselves. So if that makes sense and not just moms, parents in general, moms and dads. Yeah, I 100% I as a psychologist understand how kids and families can get missed because oh, yeah. I think some of the wounds that you talk about and, and if you're not an avid follower of Haley, um, you will be after this podcast. I follow her and- <laughs> information and support is incredible. But um, I think that people don't understand some of the uh, wounds that are present that are invisible. So can you just say a little bit more about, you said, you know, I grew up in this kind of toxic family, but I didn't know that because I was just growing up in it and living it. Um, right. What are some of the, the, the wounds that were present or that, you know, you didn't know until later was dysfunction? Um, okay. Well, for example, like walking on eggshells, um, in my home, I never knew what the emotion of the home was going to be from one minute to the next. And that puts a child on the edge of, you know, living in fear, essentially, um, not knowing when the other shoe's going to drop, uh, not knowing when something's going to blow up or you're going to be punished you know, it's just a really, um, not to be too scientific, but a, it's a, it's a high cortisol enlarged amygdala way to live, you know, for a child. And that does lifelong damage. And so, um, that's one thing. And so children learn to shrink themselves like I did. Um, so it's really hard to catch in an appointment because kiddos busy, trying not to be noticed, yeah. you know, and trying not to get in trouble. Um, and so, and a lot of times in those families, uh, like mine was the blow up happens at home behind closed doors. And so then you go out into the real world and it, it's really hard to catch that. But that's one, that's one big one for me. Um, when kids don't have stability, emotional stability at home. So, you know, as you know, Haley, my audience is healthcare professionals and healthcare um, providers, physicians. And so you're saying that in a medical appointment or um, in an interaction, 
a child, if you're talking about like a pediatric. Oh, they may come off as well-behaved, reserved, polite on their best behavior. One of your kids, you look at and go, oh, wow, this kid has great parents. (laughs) This kid's been raised right. That's something, you know, I was raised right um, in the eyes of the public. You know, in fact, that child is probably really well behaved because they're hyper vigilant to the caregiver, right? Absolutely. So they're going to look really well behaved. And and I I think it was on your blog that somebody posted, you know, um, I was this well behaved child. You can thank my trauma. Yeah. Right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and that's that makes it difficult because there are kids that are just polite and well-raised and well-behaved, um, you know, that just are, Mm -hmm. but it just makes, it adds an extra layer of, um, just difficulty to seek them out. And a lot of times you'll see those kids more focused on mom or dad in the room, you know, um, looking at their facial expressions, Mm -hmm. um, and appearing nervous, you know, that was, I feel like those were my kind of, uh, my kind of secret giveaways that someone might have been able to catch in me was my anxiety as a child. Um, well, they say more, let's, let's define it for, for listeners. So they might've seen you kind of checking in with your parent frequently, um, seeming kind of anxious, allowing them to answer for me. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Like, you so that, uh, you know, you don't get in trouble for what you say whenever you let them speak over you, you know? So do you think um, like when you think about little Haley, six years old or 12 years old or 16 years old, if, if a, if a medical provider, a nurse, a, a caring nurse, a, an incredible physician would have had a moment with you by yourself, would you have disclosed how hard your home life was? Or do you think probably like, not, not at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, there was so much fear and at the same time, a child of that age, like when you have an unloving parent, which I had one who was loving and one who wasn't right. So I had some form of stability, but I had one who was, um, on an emotional tailspin at all times. And so, um, when you're raised and like we were talking about earlier, you think it's normal, right? When, when that's all you've ever known and you're isolated from the world as a child uh, in your failing unit. So that's normal. And when parents don't love their children, children don't stop loving their parents. They stop loving themselves. And okay, so- Say it again, say it again. That's so important, <laughs> Haley. It's so important. It makes me teary right now. Say it again. Yeah. Um, when a parent is unloving to a child, a child does not stop loving the parent. They stop loving themselves. So at 6, 12, 16 years old, I would have defended my parent to my own demise. Right. Um, and probably up until I was around 23, would I have done that? Um, you, uh, these kids are so desperate because the bond with your uh, parent, your biological parent is, you know, primal. It, it is natural um, to reach for them and long for them and seek that connection. And when it's not there, a child will do anything to have it. You know, they'll put up with anything. And it's, and for, so, survival, right? it's for their emotional and physical survival that they bond with that. Parent. Right. 
And then on top of that, we're coached that we're responsible for that, that dysfunctional parents' emotions and well-being mm-hmm. above our own. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the codependency of it. Yeah. So we're very, kids raised in dysfunctional homes are very well trained to jump through their hoops, you know. So it can be difficult for providers to catch those things. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. is there anything somebody could have or would have said, maybe not to that you would have outed your parents, but that would have helped you feel less alone or anything at all that you would offer um, as an idea or advice? Um, a little more context. Do you mean as an adult speaking to a child, um, privately or? Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm a physician listening right now, I might think, well, gosh, that feels hopeless then. Like Haley's saying she wouldn't have said anything to me, even if I tried. Is yeah. there anything? Well, I, I think that's why the, I think that's why the ACEs are important. Um, the adverse experiences. I, I think that, we have to pursue knowing the signs and, you know, we have to be the voice for children because they're the voiceless. If you're a minor, you're really powerless in the world to either your parents or the system. Right. And so, um, it's really important that those of us who are around children frequently know the signs, um, and can watch out for them and intervene as needed. So, um, I wish that my teachers in school had some trauma training. Um, you know, I came in, even in high school, I came into high school every morning, um, in ninth and 10th grade, at least, uh, red faced and mm-hmm. without sleep, you know, and crying and all those things and late every day. Um, and Nobody, I feel like if I were a teacher, I would see that, but maybe that's because that I was that kid, you know, and not every teacher is that kid. So I feel like there should be some training um, and we have to take personal accountability um, to find out what the signs are so that we can catch that, you know, even if the kids aren't giving it out freely. I have to agree and just give a plug here, Haley, that if you are a teacher, a professional, if you are a person working in a child's life um, or an adult's life for that matter, and you haven't gone through trauma-informed training, if you don't know the signs and symptoms of trauma, please do that now. I will link up to lots of free trainings for that in the show notes today. Um, you know, there's mine, but there's hundreds of others that people can access for free. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think the more people know about what trauma is and how it presents, the less people fall through the cracks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let me fast forward. So you said that when you became a mom, how old were you at that time? I was 22. Okay. So when you became a mom, something shifted for you. Um, same. Yeah. You know, they laid my son on my chest in the hospital and it was like a light bulb went off. Um, and, and my first thought in my mind, which Well, first thought was probably, wow, he's so beautiful, like every mom, you know, but, but one of the first thoughts I had, and one of the only thoughts I remember, because I was so exhausted is the words, how could she do this? Because I had that realization of this is, I created this human being Mm -hmm. and I would never hurt him intentionally. Mm -hmm. How, what happened that 
this is possible. And then there were all these realizations over the last, he's, he's eight and a half now, but over the last eight years of like ways that I've handled things and thought how my mother would have handled it. And even, you know, we've, I don't know how many listeners know, but Amy and I have done a short seminar one time on breaking the cycle with um, parenting after trauma. And, um, you know, I've caught myself. And so then I would um, parent the opposite way, you know, and just realizing that so much of it was wrong. Things that I didn't realize when I was in the child role. Once I hit into the mother role, um, you know, there was just no going back from that. It was like the curtain was pulled back or the veil was pulled back. And it was that, oh my gosh, I could never do this. How was this done to me? And so at that point you realize like, it really was unacceptable. I wasn't over-exaggerating as a child or I wasn't just a dramatic child or, you know, and so I think, and that's the case. I see that with my following a lot um, in my private support group that a lot of women find out just how bad it was when they become mothers or when their child has a struggle and they realize, they remember how their mother handled that struggle, you know, and have to choose a different way. And it's not always easy um, because of triggers um, to go a different route. But that's when I first started experiencing, I think, um, flashbacks and triggering between uh, mother-child relationships. You know, before that, I was just kind of blindly going through. And yes, I was carrying my trauma around with me, but it wasn't at a conscious level. Once I became a parent, I went, oh my gosh, this is why, you know, so. so. For, for people that are listening that are parents and they're resonating with your story, you know, you're saying very clearly that you made a decision to go the opposite direction, right? Like you thought about like, this is what my mom would have done. I'm doing the opposite of that. Um, what would you say like to a parent who's trying to undo intergenerational trauma? Like what's the roadmap, Haley? The roadmap. I'm still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that at first I went complete opposite and parenting, as you know, is a revolving door of learning and nobody has it down perfectly. But at first I went complete opposite of what I had. Right. And then I realized, Oh, too much of that is not good either. Mm-hmm. It's like your, um, your box that you teach. Yeah. 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 Um, I would, I would go too far to the point of almost enabling, you know, mm-hmm. and then I realized like, okay, parenting without boundaries is not good. And so um, what I would say to any parent trying to break the cycle is to find the balance between how poorly you were treated and what your trauma is calling you to do and find that middle ground, you know, Oh my gosh. Um, it's probably what's best. For those of you that can't see Haley, she just kind of used her hands to create a continuum of like, you know, here's what you learned, right. And here's what your trauma wants you to do which is do the exact opposite of that find somewhere in the middle that works for you right yeah um that's incredible um you know the other thing that you mentioned in your introduction is boundaries that you started creating boundaries for the people in your life who were unhealthy i can't imagine that was easy um can you talk a little bit more about that yeah um 
first I tried to create boundaries for them and that failed miserably because they're them, you know, people are people. Um, and then I realized I had to set boundaries, not for them, but for myself. And so instead of giving other people limitations, I started giving myself limitations. Um, for example, you know, for example, um, you're not going to talk to me this way or degrade me instead of in the beginning, when I didn't understand it, I would go, don't talk to me like that. And then they would continue talking to me like that. And then I would stay and then, you know, it was just a carousel. Um, but when I figured out what a boundary truly is, I realized it's not asking them to do something. It's me telling myself I'm valuable enough to say, I'm not going to expect, accept anyone treating me this way. And so if they do, I'm withdrawing, I'm retreating. I'm, they're not going to get my time and attention. And that's the way it is. And so once I figured out that key, which is really hard, it's a really hard step to go from trying to control other people and get them to just love you to no, I love myself. And if they don't, then I'm out. And that goes for work. That goes for so many things, you know? So that's my thing with boundaries. I love that so much. Um, what you just said, right. About trying to control others, um, just as a point of education for the listeners, right. When someone's gone through trauma, that's on a continuum of extreme anxiety to, you know, post-traumatic stress, obviously, And so what we want when we're anxious is we want control because if we have control, then we feel less anxious. And so often people with trauma histories will try to control the environment, like you said, by telling other people what to do, except you've got these really unreasonable, mentally unhealthy people who are like, I doesn't compute with me. So you (laughs) shift and say, okay, I'm going to make a boundary for me. Yeah. And I'm not going to be part of these relationships. And so What's an example of like language you would use with someone if they were, you know, wanted to see your child, but they weren't appropriate or were talking to you in ways that felt toxic? What would you, are there a couple of scripts like you would give our listeners? So there's actually a couple of different options. People ask me all the time, do I have to tell the other party what my boundary is? And the short answer to that is you don't know, you, you don't have to, you can just give it to yourself and start behaving accordingly and acting accordingly. But for the sake of, it depends on where you're at, right? So if you're, if you're still in the throes of wanting to mend this relationship and believing that they can find healthy communication and they can, you can find middle ground with whoever you're dealing with. In that case, then you would just kind of approach it in a heart to heart way. You know, Hey, I love you so much, but this is what hurts me. And could you please just not do this anymore? I'd rather focus our time and, you know, on X, Y, and Z. Um, I will say with my um, dynamic, with my following that that's like a fairy tale, you know, mm-hmm. um, that rarely happens, mm-hmm. but um, it is always worth, one good old try, you know? Um, And I think that it can also be a step in a necessary step, you know, to know that you tried and then to realize, okay, well, I've reached and they didn't grab my hand. So now I can center it back to me and keep my boundaries regardless. And I love the, the, you know, you're kind of giving two options. One's the heart to heart, like you said, where people might need to go through that step, but often- unhealthy people won't 
you know, subscribe to that. But I love the first thing that you said, which is you owe no one an explanation for a boundary. Yeah. Which is, it's not wrong to ask the world to, to treat you fairly or kindly, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's that saying, you know, life's not fair. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm not raising my kids to, to know that life's not fair. I'm raising my kids to make every, the world a little bit more fair. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they're going to be fair to others and they're going to expect fairness to them. Mm-hmm. And it's not wrong for us or for anyone to put their hand in the face of mistreatment and say, I'm not accepting this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if people will change and treat you better, great. If they won't, then that's their loss. You know, you don't have to be the emotional dumping ground for anyone. So yeah. that's a huge learning curve though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so one thing that you mentioned is that like, as you begin setting boundaries with family members and then getting public, right? I mean, you have more than 150,000 people that follow you and listen to your story and share stories. Um, you know, skeletons start to get brought up, right? This is the truth of my family. That can't go over very well with people who are kind of unhealthy. How did you know? <laughs> Well, um, you know, often I wind up with hordes of people in my comment sections that are, you know, feeling very personally attacked (laughs) by my Mm -hmm. writing. And then, but the beautiful thing actually is that for, for every one of those, there are 10 congregated here that are on my side, which you don't see with very often. You know, the world is kind of set up to respect and honor your parents regardless, you know, family's blood forever, blah, 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 all those, all those things. And that's kind of how society is. And so a lot of the time we naturally lean to supporting the mother, you know, the, the matriarch or the patriarch in the situation. Yeah. Very rarely do you find the younger generation daughters and sons having support like hardly ever, but I changed that because they're all over here and I've got them, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you really did. You really changed that dynamic, Kaylee, um, by validating people's experiences. Um, You know, you mentioned a little bit ago, just, you know, encouraging medical providers to not be afraid to ask about trauma. So if we fast forward to you as a, as a mom now, as a mom of a young child yourself, um, I mean, you go into your appointments now, whether it's your own OBGYN appointments or your own doctor appointments or your son's appointments, right? With pediatricians, um, are people- do I people tell everyone you? that I have a history of family trauma. <laughs> I'm, I'm very open about it. And I've found that like you mentioned earlier, some doctors are either like, ooh, I'm curious, tell me more. How does this affect medically here? Mm-hmm. Or they like completely- put a wall up, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And they'll, they'll change subject. Okay. Well, what's the, do you have any family history of cancer? You know, they'll go, well, yeah, I do. But cancer is tied to trauma, you know? And so that's that's why I bring it up. And, and also um, I want to normalize it with any provider I come in contact with, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I'm, I'm really glad about the way that science is going right now and the studies are going right now because just I feel like in the last maybe five years, mental health uh, has really, and maybe it's just because I dove into the niche, you know, but I feel like it's just taking over and there's a lot more awareness and a lot more acceptance yeah. and a lot more, less shame in treatment, you know? Um, so I think it is going to be easier for providers as we go in the next few years and onwards. I, I agree with you, Haley. And when I talk with physicians and other healthcare providers, I think there's a lot, a lot of curiosity, right? Like this mom comes in and she says, like, I have a family history of trauma. Like I know what to do when she says I have a family history of breast cancer or family history of, you know, diabetes. I, I don't know what to do when someone says they have a family history of trauma. And often what I say to them is, you don't do anything differently. You take, you just listen, (laughs) just listen, you just listen and you can refer them to a therapist, psychologist, social worker, get them the resources that they need. But, um, I would encourage every provider to look up the statistics when, when your patient looks at you and says, I have a history of trauma, or I had an alcoholic parent or, you know, any of those things, then know the statistics for them. Um, how, how high are their, how much higher their chances for an early death, how much higher their chances for incarceration for, you know, there's, there's a whole slew of statistics when you go through something at a premature age, um, that I feel like doctors should know. And that goes back to the trauma training, doctors, nurses, teachers, everybody, um, because there is something to be said for preventative care, preventative care when it comes to that. And that's the other thing that you said, you know, when you're in that space of education and advocacy and writing for your followers, you, you mentioned like preventative action, right? That there's things that we can do. Um, do you want to expand upon that? Like what you hope for, for your listeners, for your followers in terms of like taking preventative action? Yeah. Well, like for example, um, you know, I'm just going to use this as an example because it was it was a big thing in my life, like yelling, right? My, my mom was a screamer, like rage screamer. Mm-hmm. So it was programmed into me in a very deep level, even to the point where like my natural reaction begs for my mother's voice to come out of my own mouth when, when the stress levels are up with parenting, right? Like I, I am called to scream. And I know that other parents who grew up with that are the same way because they don't call it a cycle for no reason, right? We pick up the traits that are marred into our bones and we repeat them. Um, But I learned the importance of apology and changed behavior um, when my son was really, really young. And I know that a lot of parents that experienced trauma uh, never were apologized to, never had their parents experience change behavior, model it for them, ex- uh, you know, acceptance, acknowledgement, those things. And so I would write about like, for example, you know, I lost my cool this morning on my kid and I yelled at him and sent him to his room and he felt rejected and et cetera, et cetera. Here's how I fixed it. Yeah. Right. Yes. The repair- and so when I share that, then one of my readers might do that with their own child or start the habit ideally of doing that with their own child. And there's a cycle broken. It's something small and simple, but it teaches their child that my parents love me. My parents care about me. They care about reconciling. 
you know, and that, that is, my parents mess up and then they fix it. Right. We make mistakes in our family. And my mom can circle back to me and say, I'm so sorry. You know, I raised my voice and I bet that felt really scary for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that preventative action. And um, the other thing that you said was apology and changing behavior, which that's how we break cycles of intergenerational violence. Um, Absolutely. Uh, You know, I I feel like the bet it's kind of cliche, but the best apology is changed behavior. And there is no apology without changed behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we can say, I'm sorry all day long, but if you repeat it tomorrow and the next day and the next day, then that holds no water, you know, then I'm sorry, doesn't count. And so the best thing you can do is apologize and then prove to them that you can be reliable in that apology by continuing to behave differently and move differently. Yeah. And I think it's important that when you struggle with those things, because we do struggle with those things, that um, we take uh, the judgment out of mental health care because that mom who is struggling with that doesn't need to feel shame in calling a therapist or calling at their doctor and saying, hey, my anxiety is really high. I'm not being the parent I want to be right now. Um, you know, what can what I need help? Where, where can you send me or what can I try differently? Um, I feel like my generation had drilled into us that, uh, well, at least for me specifically, reaching out for mental health was for crazy people, you know, or it was a shameful thing. We're, we're trying to shed that now. And I know that our kids' generation is going to be like, guess what happened at therapy, you know, <laughs> but, but we are, are in the middle of, feeling shame about it and moving into it and embracing it. And it's still scary because we've been hardwired to believe that, you know, that means you're failing and we've got to make a bridge that shows this generation of parents and the next generation of parents. And even the previous one, I feel like, you know, that it's okay to ask for help and they've got to have resources. Thankfully we have the internet now. So, you know, if they need to look something up, they can, but, um, I would encourage providers, teachers, et cetera, to really try to refrain from feeling judgmental. Or if you do naturally to, to just reel yourself in on it, because that's someone being extremely brave to ask for help, like extremely brave. And helping that person instead of judging them or, you know, cold shouldering them off or changing the subject could be the difference in that child and the next child and their grandchild's lives, you know, getting them proper treatment. And so I agree. The way that I always frame it, Haley, is um, when I hear somebody disclose trauma or ask a question about parenting, sexuality, substance use, you name it, any like big trigger traumas, I think in my head, you got one shot here, Amy. Don't mess it up. Oh yeah. It may be. And not only do you have one shot, but it might be the only shot that that person in front of you ever takes. That's right. 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 Yeah. Um, Okay. I know we're kind of coming towards the the end of our time. I have a couple of of rapid fire questions for you, (laughs) which they don't have to be uh, rapid in response, but um, what's one thing that you think people get wrong about women with histories of trauma? That they are doomed to repeat that trauma. Mm -hmm. 
statistics in the past have shown that if it's happened to you, you're most likely to repeat it. But I feel like with the resources we have now and the direction that things are moving in mental health, we can shatter that statistic. Mm -hmm. So let's manifest that. Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. Um, If you could go back and talk to young Haley now, what would you tell? Oh gosh. (laughs) What would I say? Well, I'd probably give her the biggest hug she'd ever had. I'm sure, you know, and, uh, I think I would tell her that she is not what people say she is and that, um, she was going to make a meaningful impact someday and that someday all the things that she was going through were going to make sense because nothing made sense. I feel like nothing made sense when I was a kid. And so that's, that would be a big one. That would be a really big one that it'll make sense and it'll, it'll, you'll be grateful for your life someday. So beautiful. Okay. Um, uh, last, last question. So it's 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving. What do you reach for? Uh, the last few nights I've been eating pecans and chocolate chips just in a bowl, <laughs> just in, in my living room in the dark. <laughs> this time of year, I snack so much more because it's cold outside and it's just cozy to curl up and munch on something, you know, it's a terrible habit. It's not, but, do you, are you a dark chocolate or milk chocolate fan? I am a chocolate fan. <laughs> I don't discriminate. I love it all. So, um, all right, Haley Reynolds, thank you so much. Um, we're going to link up to, um, all of the things so that people can be in touch with you so that people can follow you so that people can feel validated. But I want to say to you from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for the work that you do for survivors of trauma, for women, for children um, who've experienced this to feel more safe and seen in the world. You are a light maker and you are a beautiful soul. And I'm so glad to know you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I so appreciate you bringing me on your platform. I love working with you. I love talking to you. Um, and I, I think your work is equally as important, if not more, because the providers that you reach out to are the ones who are the hands and feet for preventative care. And, you know, so teaching them could save thousands of patients and and not only those patients, but the generations after them. So, so you're making a huge difference in the world. And I have always uh, got your back and you've got my support. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Haley. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing in this space, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge, a learning collaborative to build resilience. It's an incredible group of physicians who meet monthly, get CME, and lean into conversations about trauma, resilience, and other tough topics. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing your own, because your humanity will heal others. We'll talk soon.